You're listening to Red Leg Nation Radio, the official podcast of RedLegNation.com. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the inaugural podcast of Red Leg Nation Radio. I'm Chad Dotson. I'm the founder of RedLegNation.com, and I'm going to be your host for this and for future podcasts. We're going to be discussing the many highs and, uh, unfortunately, the many lows of being a fan of these Cincinnati Reds. If you're familiar with RedLegNation.com, you're going to know that we have several contributors, and all those contributors are going to be participating in future Red Leg Nation Radio podcasts. Uh, While we have presented some audio features at RedLegNation.com, before. This is really the first official episode of the podcast, so I guess you should feel free to celebrate accordingly um, at this debut. Now, if you ever have any questions or comments about Red Ignition Radio, please feel free to send them along to us. Uh, you can send those to chad, C-H-A-D, at redlegnation.com. We'll read them. We'll respond to them uh, on a future episode of the podcast. Uh, in particular, please let us know how this sounds and if you have any suggestions. This podcast is really sort of a work in progress, and I hope you stick with us as we iron out the kinks in this. Now, as part of these podcasts, we're going to also be presenting feature interviews with interesting people associated with the Cincinnati Reds organization. We're going to give you the first of those interviews tonight. Uh, the second's already in the can, so to speak. Be, uh, that'll be featured in our second episode of Red Leg Nation Radio. And um, the first of them tonight, though, is I think a very interesting, very special uh, interview. Now, you may have seen our Spotlight Player feature at RedLegNation.com. Uh, we are very proud of our Spotlight Players. Uh, proud to be associated with several players in the Reds minor league system who provide updates, interviews, and uh, gives sort of the latest from each of those players' journey on the road to play for the Reds. Um, we think it's an interesting feature uh, at the website, and I hope you do too. Uh, our most recent Spotlight Players, of course, are Logan Parker, who's a first baseman, with the Dayton Dragons as the Class A affiliate of the Reds. And um, more recently, Matt Klinker, who was a right-handed pitcher, who was just recently drafted just this year out of Furman University. And he's been providing us with multiple updates every week sometimes uh, from his first professional assignment out there in rookie ball, uh, Billings, Montana. So tonight's interview is going to serve really as the debut and the introduction for our latest spotlight player. And we're very proud uh, to introduce Thomas Pauley, um, and uh, we're very appreciative that Polly's agreed to sign on to keep us updated out here in Red Leg Nation. Now, of course, Polly is a right-handed pitcher with the Sarasota Reds. That's the high-A affiliate uh, in the Reds minor league system. And he's a 6'2", as I said, right-hander who's picked in the second round of the 2003 draft by the Reds out of Princeton University, of all places. Um, in a lot of ways, Thomas is the most unique of our spotlight players and that he spent some real time as a top prospect uh, on the fast track to the bigs I guess uh, and then he was sidelined by in- injuries for a time and he's uh, you know really uh, working hard to get back to the level he was before um, and he'll he'll tell you all about that in the interview you'll hear you'll hear that one of our other editors Bill Lack and you're going to come to know Bill I guess is the interview king. Uh, he was in Sarasota recently and he had a chance to catch up with with Thomas Pauley. Uh, here's the interview. I really think that you'll agree it's an extremely interesting conversation. 
uh, full of insight into a player who's been, as I said, at the top of the hill, and he's really fighting to get his way back there. Uh, I'll turn it over to Bill now. We're sitting here talking to Thomas Pauly, 2003 second-round draft pick for the Reds. Thomas, thanks for giving us your time today to Red Leg Nation. No problem. Let's start at the beginning. You were born in Jacksonville. Grew up in Atlantic Beach. Uh, yes, born and raised in Jacksonville. I love that city. So, went to school up in New Jersey. Your parents are kind of an interesting story. Your mom is from Cuba. Yep. Um, how did she come to the U.S. and then how did she settle in Jacksonville? Uh, in the 60s when Castro just came into power, uh, a lot of the the Cubans got out when they when they could. So she came over two years before her parents. She flew over and stayed with some relatives in Florida. And then two years later, her parents came over. They were only allowed to bring like two suitcases. So she was like 13, so it's not like she had her whole childhood there, but only one of her one of her siblings has been back. So. And your dad's name is Tom? Yeah, Thomas, actually. I'm a junior, so it's the same name. And they met at, G at Jacksonville University, at JU? Yep, my dad was teaching her. They're both dolphins. Uh, more or less. <laughs> Do you have siblings? I have an older, older sister um, who's 27 who works in Washington, D.C., and a younger brother, two years younger, who works in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Okay. You went to high school, private school in Jacksonville? Where my mom taught English and Spanish. Yeah, high school, high school. You were a all-city baseball player twice, right? Uh, I don't think I was. I might have. Oh, I read that. I'm, I might have been either that or I was all city swimming twice in baseball once or maybe maybe it was maybe it was that way there was a lot of good baseball in Jacksonville and I wasn't even near the top of that list you played outfield and pitched in high school yeah mainly mainly outfield I started pitching my junior year didn't do it very much and then did a little more in my senior year and I think that's how I got on the all city team as a utility player so. the swimming you were I read that you were a pretty competitive statewide swimmer. Uh, yeah, I took I took swimming seriously. My parents wouldn't let me play football because they didn't want me to get hurt. So we had Randy Reese, who was an ex-Olympic coach, um, who coached our high school team. And I got into it seriously in sixth and seventh grade. And then um, I think swimming for pretty much all the discipline. I don't think I'd be where I am if it wasn't for the dedication and stuff that swimming taught me. And you did surfing, and you life, were a lifeguard for a while? And Oh, yeah, we moved out to the beach, uh, I think in middle school, and then uh, just enjoying the beach life, lifeguarding, lifeguard competitions, surfing, swimming, triathlons, all that stuff. I, I love the beach. That's why I love being down here in Sarasota. Other hobbies? Um, other, than, other than the beach and fishing, I have, a, I have a small boat that I got down here since I was going to be rehabbing for a while, so we go out fishing. Uh, night fishing, offshore fishing, king, king fishing. Um, I had an online poker problem. Um, it's not really a problem unless you lose, but I've stopped. I've recently stopped playing. But uh, poker is definitely a big hobby of mine as well. You went from Jacksonville to Princeton. How did how did you end up at Princeton? Um, funny story. My uh, my high school coach played pro ball with a coach at, at, uh, at Princeton, Scott Bradley, and 
it was at our school it was being pressed that the coaches should try and get their players to play college baseball and I actually wanted to go to Duke um, but Duke baseball team didn't want me um, I went to tryouts and they said good luck um, so I, my coach called the Princeton coach told them told them I weighed about 15 pounds more and then I threw a little bit harder and next thing I know me and my catcher actually got recruited there um, fortunately my catcher he went but he failed out twice um but so that's how that's how I got in with that with that connection and didn't come in as a really as a prospect but got lucky once I got there. You were a chemical engineering major at Princeton? Uh yeah, yeah, it was not fun, but it was definitely definitely rewarding once it was done. Are you, have you graduated? I did graduate. I went back uh two fall semesters, so I skipped my senior spring to come to spring training to play and then I went back my second my second senior fall. But I did get to walk with my class in 2004, which was nice. That's great. Um, when you were at Princeton, you didn't do much starting pitching. Mostly relieving, correct? Yep. And your numbers showed dramatic improvement in your three years at Princeton. I mean, they just got better and better and better. Um, did I read it at one point you went from throwing sidearm to going overhand? When... In in high school, I threw sidearm, which which bothered my elbow a little bit. So when I went to Princeton, I had a little bit of elbow tendonitis. Didn't even know if I was going to play baseball. I was thinking about combining my swimming and my baseball to play water polo. But uh, I trained. I trained with the team all fall, and coach changed the way I threw back to over the top. And I worked with uh, the trainer, uh, who became a great friend of mine. And uh, next thing I know, I gained weight from like the freshman freshman 15 started working out and got my legs stronger and my arm healthy and just started picking up miles an hour each year and the, didn't have any any arm problems at all so yeah and in the book which we'll talk about in a few minutes uh, lost Vesely yeah <laughs> you read it oh yeah <laughs> um you it said you went from from 84 to 94 over I, over how long a period did, did I think I talked out maybe like 84 82, 83, 84 in high school. Um, when I went to Princeton my first year, uh, I was like maybe 85 that fall. And then my my freshman year, which I, I struggled a little bit at the start and then picked it up and uh, ended ended strong in a regional performance. Uh, I think I topped out at 88 maybe, maybe touched 89. I don't, th- I don't even know about that. And that summer when I was lifeguarding and working out with my brother back home long tossing, I was like... It's like, hey, William. I was like, if I can, if I can get three more, I picked up four miles an hour this year. If I can pick up three or four more, maybe I can play pro baseball for a year or two after school, just as a nice break from the chemical engineering headache which I'd been experiencing. Um, and so I just kept working at it. And then junior year, uh, I was like 88, 90, 92, and. I mean, sophomore year, this was sophomore year, and then all of a sudden, the scouts were there to see one of our left-handed prospects throw. This was one of the last games of the year, and I was 90, 92 consistently and hit hit 94. This was my sophomore year, and I was like, wow, it's ridiculous, and all of a sudden, the coach invited me to the Cape, and I was like, I just want to go home and lifeguard and long toss and get stronger and come back throwing harder next year, and he's like, no, if you want to play baseball, you really should do this, so... My parents were like, well, it's a great opportunity to play in the Cape. I didn't know anything about it. Went to the Cape, had a 
a rough start it's in the book and then again ended strong uh, didn't think I belonged but by then I could figure out that I could play there and then junior year was 90-95 out, out of the bullpen would be maybe 92-93 to 95 um, so it was, a, it was a constant uphill just getting, getting stronger uh, arm strength long tossing and cup was just continued to pick up velocity so. do you attribute a lot of the long tossing? Uh, long toss, uh, shoulder program, which we did at Princeton, and a lot of it was uh, the strength program we did at Princeton in the weight room, um, which turned out to be my demise, <laughs> since I actually hurt myself lifting weights. Um, yeah, I want to talk about that in a few minutes. Uh, you went to the Cape Cod League, I'm, I'm sorry, after your sophomore year? After, after, your, after my sophomore after year. After your sophomore year. And you, we mentioned a book, and you're the last best league, and, and you're one of the central guys that they talk about in the book, the core four or five guys, whatever it was. What did you think of the book when it came out? Uh, I, I mean, it's always cool to see your name in a book and to see your story. And, I mean, like, when he's following us around for the whole summer, like, he has a lot of insight into, like, my personality and stuff like that that, I, like, I don't even, like, I, things, like, I know I do, but, like, I don't know why I do them. Like, when people ask where I'm from, like, I was born and raised in Jacksonville, but, I mean, I lived out at the beach. I'll say I'm from Atlantic Beach just so I can, sit, like, be associated with the beach because I like things like surfing and lifeguarding, um, which is funny because he, he, he points that out in the book. Um, it's stuff like that that I liked reading, and, like, my meltdown, of course, was always, it was always fun to read about and then how, how I changed by the end of the book because my, my freshman year, actually... After my first outing, I gave up like 12 runs. My first outing at Oklahoma State, and I punched a, a door in between in between innings and pitched with a swollen hand for my third inning. And my uh, my trainer, who of course became one of my best friends at school, uh, wasn't too pleased with that. Sent me to to anger management counseling, and I didn't. I mean, I didn't. I really didn't like Princeton my freshman year because it was such an adjustment being in the North after I had been born and raised in the South and stuff like that. Um, but things things turn around, and uh, the school turned out to be a great fit. And uh, I was always constantly maturing and growing up since I came in to Princeton pretty immature, but uh, but left uh, with a grown up, I'd say. For the people that haven't read the book, in the beginning of the book, you don't come across, you don't come through very well. They talk about you, and tell me whether you think Collins is being fair to you. He talks about you, you lack confidence in your own abilities. He said you didn't feel like you, you belonged with guys from big college programs and that you didn't take your, your, your talent very seriously and, and that you kind of covered those insecurities back like you didn't care. Do you think that's, was that, was that fair when you first came um, out there? It was, it was kind of fair. Um... But I really wouldn't say it was insecurities. When I came upon the talent just through hard work and it came so so suddenly that I, I really didn't feel like I belonged. Like, I was a, a nobody, not even a prospect at Princeton. And next thing I know, I'm rooming with, like, first-rounders, guys I read about. And, like, I didn't even know if I was going to be playing college baseball. And next thing I know, I'm thrown into, like, one of the most pre prestigious summer leagues. And it was all it was all new to me, and I was just there having fun. I was enjoying the ride. Whatever happened, happened. It's not that I didn't take my talent seriously because I worked, I'd say, hard, just as hard, if not harder, than anybody on that team to to improve. But I wasn't going to 
beat myself up if I if I got hit around and I didn't want to make it as a life or death kind of issue because it was so new to me that I had other stuff that I wanted to do with my life and again being a pro baseball player wasn't at the top of my list until until I actually got into it and was like I want to play this game. So your confidence really hadn't caught up to your talent. Uh, definitely not, and it took a, it took a while for that. It didn't even happen that summer. Yeah, by the end of the summer, I mean, you were kind of one of their go-to pitchers, and you depressed the coaches, and you turned, the, 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 at least the manager, I can't remember his name now off the top of my head, but the, the thoughts, yeah, yeah he, it, he didn't like me too much. Well, by the end of the, by the, end of the, the book, he seemed to at least respect that you, that you respected the game, he believed you were giving your best efforts, and you weren't, you know, you were there to try to improve your talent, at least that's what I got from Yeah, 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 which was nice. You seem, reading the book, and now they don't break down every start, so you can't look at it. It seemed like you got better as the summer went on up there. Is that true? That's definitely true. Okay. Um, do you attribute that to things you learned up there? Do you attribute that to a gain in confidence? Do you think, I mean... I'd say it's more a comfort, comfortability factor. Um, when the first time I was there, 2,000 fans, uh, when you know, I'm used to 200 for an Ivy League baseball game, and they sit right behind home plate, and I'm pitching against names I names I know because I read about them in Baseball America, and I saw them on TV the last weekend in Omaha, a place that I would like dream of playing. Um, it's kind of like a shock factor, and as that eventually faded, and I realized the guys were just like me, um, I started pitching better and became more comfortable with the place. What would, if you could pick? A couple of things, one or two things that you took away from that summer, what, what would they be? Definitely a confidence that I knew that I could play with those guys. Uh, um, I, I mean, it was an amazing summer hanging out with those guys and the memories, like, it was probably one of the best summers I ever had and most of the guys will say the same thing we always talk about. One of the guys played with, on my team right now played in Chatham, Derek Lutz. Uh, he ruined mm -hmm. with the same host family and one of the guys from uh, who are we playing right now? Clearwater. 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 One of their guys lived with the same host family as me. So all the Cape guys kind of, it's not even about the, like college, it's like who played together in the Cape and stuff like that. So a camaraderie, a camaraderie of It's playing. kind of a fraternity. Yeah, and I, I love it. I, I wear my Chatham, Chatham A's t-shirt with pride. You were drafted by the Reds in the, in the 2003 draft. How many teams worked you out before the draft? Uh, we were kind of busy with uh, Ivy League championships and regionals and stuff, so there were really no individual workouts. But I met with most of the teams to fill out paperwork and um, just to talk about the process and stuff like that. So, pulling again, still pulling things out of the, out of the book. What round did you think you'd go in? Uh, definitely not second. Up until a couple of days before, I think I think when I finally got drafted in the second round, that's when my confidence caught up with my ability. Uh, my they, my agent kept telling me things that I didn't believe. Uh, I don't I don't like listening to people. I like seeing seeing things happen. Um, so when he kept telling me, yeah, you might be a third rounder, second rounder, even a potential late first rounder, I'm like, listen, I was like, I'll believe it when I see it. And then, then it finally happened, which was which is pretty neat. In the book, it said the Reds were you hadn't even talked to the Reds, and they were a complete surprise picking you. 
No, I had talked. I had talked. I had oh. known the, I had known the agent, and I had met uh, one of the assistant GMs at the time, uh, a guy named Al Goldis, who mm-hmm. actually he's around Sarasota right now, who I have talked to in the last couple of weeks about my mechanics. Without being intrusive into your financial dealings. Is there a big, a huge difference between the beginning of the first round, the end of the first round, and the second round in terms of, of bonus money? Oh, yeah, definitely. It's like if, well, in between the end of the first round and the beginning of the second round. I have no idea how any of that financial stuff falls. No, well, it falls off. I mean, it's like exponentially a drop-off. Like the first round, you start, like the first pick, like can be upwards to 10, and then it starts going like this, and by like the, the fifth round, you're at maybe like, Fifty thousand dollars, and by the tenth round, you're it falls off. It falls off pretty quick, but I mean, it's it's still a lot of money. When uh, funny story, when I got drafted, and my dad came home from work. It's like, hey, dad, I got. I, I try to keep my parents in the dark about the whole thing. They got enough stuff to worry about, and I had enough stuff to worry about on top of them worrying about me. So anyway, so my dad comes home and sit on the couch. I'm like, Dad, I got drafted today. He's like, Great. I was like. Yeah, they made an offer. He's like, what is it? I was like, 600 He's like, $600. He's like, that's a lot of money. I was like, no, 600000 that. And he goes, you got to be kidding me. He had, he had absolutely no idea what was involved, which was, which was kind of nice. Did the negotiations take long after you were drafted? No, I wanted to sign and play. So my agent got it done within, within a week. But it was nice because the Reds invited me down to Tampa to watch to watch the team play and meet the team, and then uh, that's when I was like, "All right, I'll sign. I don't, I don't care. Just I want to start playing." And uh, then they flew me and my brother up to Cincinnati to sign, which was probably one of the, the coolest days I've ever had, hanging out with the team, watching a game. My brother enjoyed it too. Did you buy anything special with your? With your uh, just just my truck, a black truck. Seemed like every every uh, new draftee uh, has to get like a black SUV at the time and uh, throw some wheels on it. So sure enough, I threw some wheels on it, which made it flashy. So yeah, I think somebody told me that's what Jay Bruce bought when he everybody when he signed everybody. It's a, it's a it's a it's a rite of passage for any top rounder that you have to get a black you have to get an SUV and throw throw the wheels on it and look like a rapper. Okay, so now you're signed. Uh, Bowden was the Jim Bowden was the GM at the time. Yep. Right. Did they tell you right away that you were going to be a starter? Uh, they told me that I needed to develop a third pitch, a changeup, and the best way to do that was starting. You didn't pitch in rookie ball at all. You went straight to Dayton. Was that the uh, normal for the Reds organization at that time? Do you know? Uh, I, I, I don't know whether it was normal or not, but I mean, I've definitely seen it done. Um, our first rounder that year went to double A and was in the big leagues by the end of the year. So a lot of the, I, I mean, a lot of the Wagner, Wagner, yeah. And a lot of the college, uh, I played against a lot of the college guys that were drafted that year in the Midwest league. So I don't think it was that uncommon. What was it like playing in Dayton? Uh, that city's awesome that with 8,000 people every night, it's, it was unreal and definitely had the same bugs in my stomach like I did pitching in Chatham that first night. You go from 2,000 in Chatham to 8,000 in Dayton as a prospect, and you're the new guy. 
uh, it was definitely it was definitely exciting and fun. When did you get today? What part of the East season was? Right it? after the All Star break. So it'd be about now. Yeah, it would be it. Right. Yeah. Because I think they're on their All Star break right now. Um, you had thrown 39 innings at Princeton that year and, and started 12 games, and then you threw 47 innings that year at Dayton. Was that the most innings you'd ever you'd ever pitched up to that point? Probably, because I didn't play a lot of summer ball. My summer ball was just playing playing for fun around home. Um, and I was a reliever, so. What was the uh, the transition like going from, from college ball straight to, to, to low Nothing, a? nothing, nothing really. They're just, they're better baseball players. They make you pay for your mistakes more. So baseball is baseball. They talk with the, with the hitters about going from the aluminum bat to the wooden bat and whether there will be a transition in, in that. Do pitchers even think about that? About the fact that the hitters aren't going to be hitting that ball back off that aluminum bat at you 90 feet away? No, because, I mean, you're never supposed to be worried about a ball coming back at you, for one. And for two, like with with an aluminum bat, when you pitch inside, if you jam them, the bat won't break and it might fall in for a hit, but that's not going to keep you from pitching inside. It might give you more of an incentive with the wood bat because you can saw them off. But I don't think it changes any any of your pitching approach. You had a good year in Dayton. I, I wouldn't say good year. In fact, I'd say I I struggled even with my velocity that year. A lot yeah, of that. Your ERA was just over two. Your WHIP was real good. I mean, it was only a little over one. You're, you're, you're I start. I, I think I started off bad because I didn't know. Yeah, my velocity wasn't there. My for the Ivy League Championships, my junior year, I pitched, I think I threw like 44 pitches on Friday, pitched two and two-thirds innings, and got the save in game one. We lost game two to Harvard, and then my coach gave him the ball for game three, um, since it was my last year, and I think I went like 140 pitches complete game. Wow. Yeah, and my arm was never the same for the rest of the summer. Like, I was, as a reliever, I was sitting 93 and 95, which is, of course, what got me drafted in the second round. And all of a sudden, my velocity was gone, and I was scared. Uh, I would maybe touch 94 in Dayton, but then I would pitch it 88, 91, which was new to me. And I was like, where where did this go? Were people lying with the gun? And so by the end of the season, I figured out how to pitch at that velocity and to pitch with what I had, uh, which was nice. But it was after I took the rest and came back and then ended up in Potomac that my velocity was back. I could go out there as a starter and pitch 90-94, hit 95, and in relief I could come in and throw throw just as hard or harder. When, when you were in Dayton and you say your, your velocity was down, did you think there was something wrong with your arm? Were you, were you worried? The, I, I didn't have any pain, but I was definitely worried. It was kind of embarrassing being the second-round prospect with a, with a fastball that blows you away and you can only touch 94 like twice in the first inning and then you're 88 91 plus not being able to throw fastballs by people it was it's I mean it was a little frustrating so I wasn't I wasn't necessarily worried about my arm but I was definitely definitely concerned so would it be fair to say your time and date you enjoyed the crowds you enjoyed the stadium you enjoyed the the team but you weren't real happy with your performance by the performance at the end, I was definitely happy. Um, I was concerned that my arm wouldn't rebound for next year, which it definitely did. Um, but yeah, I tell everybody that skips Dayton, like some of the guys on our team, like you guys got to go check it out. That place is unreal. 
Yeah, I've got I got partial seasons at, at Dayton, so we're. we're I mean, it's I'd, I'd say it's almost more fun than a big league game because the stuff they have in between innings, to how close you are, like the atmosphere, it's always sold out. Like you can go, how many, how many fans do they pull in Cincinnati? At, at the Reds, yeah, they're like twenty five, maybe twenty five, and there's always it's always like nine thousand sold out okay. in Dayton. It's well, they they have the longest consecutive sellout yeah. streak right now in sports. It's an unreal baseball atmosphere. Since you were you were pitching without your best stuff for at least part of the year in Dayton, do you think you learned more how to pitch than how to throw? I mean, you you hear that thrown around a lot by commentators and media people about learning to pitch. You know, being a pitcher, not a thrower. Do you think that was part of the the, the process? You know, I mean, yeah, definitely. I have. Through? I mean, my my first victory was like I think an hour and fifty minute game where I pitched like seven or eight innings and only two hits and like only like four or five strikeouts and the rest were just ground balls where my ball was moving and they were I was getting miss hits and like pitching coaches like love that that's what they want they want they want you to have them put the ball in play but miss hit it and get guys out efficiently they don't want you to strike out everybody else which was like kind of like a turning point for me strikeouts are fascist but <laughs> but I, I love strikeouts that's that's kind of that's the way I pitch that's the way I pitched in college and as a reliever that's the way I pitch well I think it's it's also a quandrum too because I mean you read when, when the scouts and things talk about pitchers they look at strikeout ratios and that kind of thing but yet they don't want you striking everybody out because you throw so many pitches right so I mean it's a it, it's kind of a right. conundrum but if you don't if you don't have the stuff to strike people out, then you shouldn't be doing it. Whereas if you have like the ninety five mile an hour fastball, go ahead strike them out. But how many guys now, when they're drafted, young guys get drafted if they don't have the big arm? If, you know, if they get by on stuff. You know, on I, I, from what I, from what I've read, and I'm no expert, God knows. But it seems like you have to have the big arm these days. You to do get to get drafted, which is why I really like seeing guys. Like Fisher, do you know Carlos Fisher? Carlos Fisher, yeah. an organization who wasn't was like a senior sign, has like I mean I don't know why anybody would see ninety ninety four as not a strong arm, but he goes out there and has command of three pitches and wasn't really considered a prospect, wasn't drafted high, and yet he's carving up every now he's every, carving, carving up double. He's, like. he's carving up every level he's been at and. Will probably be in the big leagues. Yeah, I watched him last year. You know, we watched he's, him last year in Dayton. I mean, he, was, he is. He is. Him and were very impressive last he's year. He's as day. polished as they get. Okay, so 2004, you're promoted up to, to Potomac, which is where the high A team was at the time. Was anything said to you about being on a fast track at that time or anything like that? Did you did you think you were on no, a fast track? No, I definitely, I definitely didn't think I was, and I definitely felt like I had something to prove because the prospect handbook. When you're a second rounder the year before and the prospect list comes out for the next year, if you're a second rounder and you're on the top 10, that's pretty bad. And I think I was maybe 17th on that book. In the Baseball America book? In the Baseball America, behind maybe 10th and 20th rounders who were drafted my year. And, I mean, that's that's a little embarrassing. Wake-up call? Uh, not a wake-up call, but it just reminded me that I didn't have the stuff that I was drafted with. Um last year and fingers crossed hopefully I would have it back by this year hopefully the rest in the off season uh, could maybe make up for overuse of my arm just that one weekend and you had a great year at Potomac yeah my arm came back I was I was throwing hard uh, hitting my spots everything I started off slow because again confidence and adjusting to a new level um, 
I think I had like an area of six or something for my first month or two. Finished I was giving up. I was like, yeah, I was giving up. I mean, I was leading the league in home runs, giving up for like the first half. And then the second half, I think my ERA was one or even sub one and dropped it all the way to sub three and led the league in strikeouts. Yeah, you got so, 135 strikeouts and 121 innings. I mean, that's again, it just took, that's it, it, done. It, took it took me a while to adjust to the new level. And uh, How were you used there? Because I, I saw in the numbers that you pitched in 28 games and you only had 19 starts. Um, we did. It was the eight-man tandem. Oh, so they were in the tandem relation. at that point? Yeah, so it was. Okay. Yep. Okay. Uh, did you hate the tandem? Uh, I didn't hate it because I, I enjoyed coming in a relief when Gardner would throw a solid seven innings. Is that who you were tandem up with originally? Uh, it, it changed. It changed. But like when Gardner would go seven innings, I would get a break for the week and I would only get two innings. So I would go out there and throw all fastballs and see how hard I could throw, which again was nice to light up the radar gun and see that I still had it in my arm. Um, but it was a lot of throwing because your pitch... Uh, then you had to throw the next day to get the stiffness out of your arm, and then you had a bullpen the next day, and then you had to throw you had to throw the day before you pitched just to keep your arm loose, and then you had to pitch again. There was no time for rest. Yeah, I, I've talked to a couple of guys that have said that they thought in the tandem you threw more than you do in a normal system. You, you definitely did. Um, in the past three seasons or so with Dan O'Brien and now with the Krisky regime with the Reds, in the minor league guys, there's been a lot of talk about, about pitch counts and, and innings and a lot about pitch counts. Was there, Were you on a pitch count in 03 and 04? Uh, yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely. Do you I think everybody was on a 75-pitch pitch count in that tandem rotation. What about before that? I don't remember. Okay. Guy, there, there have been a lot of injuries in pitchers in the red system. Yourself, uh, Richie Gardner went through it. Uh, Bobby Basham went through it. Chris Gruller went through it. Howington. Ty Howington. The list goes on. Yeah. Yeah. Can you attribute it to anything? Um, no, I really don't think you can. So, I know my injury was something I did myself. So... That one's pretty much on me. What exactly happened? I mean, this was after the 2004 season. After my 2004 season, where I was lucky enough to be the minor league pitcher of the year because Gardner was had such a great year that he was the player of the year. Um, had a great season. Uh, touched 96 a couple times. I was going back to school to graduate, taking only four, four freshman-level classes since I had already fulfilled my chemical engineering requirements. Um, I said, I'm going to throw 97 or 98 next year, and I want to be in the big leagues as a reliever. And I worked my ass off um, in the weight room, in the training room, uh, throwing. I went to Instructs uh, for two weeks, worked on my changeup, came back to Princeton, worked on my changeup, stopped throwing, and then got after it in the weight room, in the training room. And all of a sudden, just one time in November, I had always been able to lift weights no problem. The stronger I was, the harder I threw. That was, that was the way we were at school. We, we worked hard and we saw results. Um, and in November, all of a sudden, my shoulder started hurting doing bench press. Uh, and I even had a protective plate on my chest so I wouldn't go down too far to put stress on my shoulder. So I stopped, I stopped doing that exercise, continued lifting hard through December, picked up a baseball in January with, without having any shoulder problems in a month because I hadn't done that exercise. And first throw, I felt like I got stabbed with a knife in the shoulder. 
I was like, oh, this really isn't good. I had to take some anti-inflammatories uh, to throw and be ready for spring training. And my, my bullpens leading up to spring training, I was concerned. I was throwing hard, uh, but it hurt to warm up, and my command was off. Uh, I, I called my pitching coach and was like, listen, I have no idea what's going on. Like, I'm throwing hard, but I can't, I can't get across the plate, and my slider is, is not good. He's like, we'll come down early. We'll work on it. So I went down to spring training a little bit early and uh, threw bullpens and pitched through spring training. And, again, it hurt warming up, but my command wasn't there. I was pitching with a triple-A roster. I was getting lit, and I was like, I can't. I could throw a fastball to the outside corner nine out of ten times when I wanted, and right now I can't do it to save my life. And I knew something was wrong. And they kept telling me it was bicep tendonitis. So I finally asked for, for a shot so that I could start the season uh, with a double-A team. And they said, well, we're not going to do that unless until we give you an MRI. So sure enough, got the MRI and torn labrum, which, of course, is probably the worst thing you can hear as a pitcher. So they, the torn labrum um, led to surgery? Uh, well, first... Uh, I actually they actually gave me a shot in hopes that it might just be inflammation. Sure enough, the shot didn't do anything. Uh, rehab didn't do anything. Uh, so, yep, I had surgery. I think it was in May of '05. Who did your surgery? Uh, Doctor Kremchek and Kremchek That led to almost two full years of rehab. Yeah, uh, and two other surgeries. Uh, my shoulder, my body doesn't like being cut open and scars down to heal itself. Everybody heals differently. Some people can have their full range of motion back in, in two weeks from a surgery like that. Other people, uh, it takes them a lot longer. Uh, my shoulder uh, locked down and healed in a position that it was never going to throw again. So five months later, uh, the doctor had to go back in there and remove some scar tissue and loosen my capsule, uh, which, of course... If it's scarred down the first time, and then you go in there and break things up and tear things, it's going to scar down even more the second time. So sure enough, uh, it scarred down just as bad or worse after the second surgery. And for the whole first year, it hurt to open doors, drive my car, sit on an airplane. Just my shoulder was hurting all the time. So uh, went to Arizona to rehab. Uh, they, they really couldn't help me out. They couldn't help me out there. Saw Dr. Yoakum. He said I would probably need a third shoulder surgery. So I came back at the start of spring training uh, with the Reds, not having thrown in a year. My arms still killed me just to, just to do daily activities. I was like, I don't, I mean, I don't, I'm probably never going to play baseball again, much less. Like, can you at least get this to stop hurting? And, uh, Dr. Kremchuk did a couple tests with it, with like a, and finally ended up injecting it with cortisone, which helps to break up the the scar tissue and stuff like that that was locking my shoulder down. And sure enough, with one shot, instantly I got all my range of motion back. It was it was like a miracle shot. I was I was in absolute shock when it happened, and he actually had me go out and throw right after it happened. And so I went out and throw. And next thing I know, I was back on a throwing program, uh, and I threw for the next three months. 
and now it's June, and I'm throwing live batting practices. This is June of 2006. This is June, yes, June 2006, and I was ready to get back with the team. I was throwing hard, hitting my spots. Uh, things were finally looking up, and my first live batting practice, uh, after I threw it, my elbow was just a little bit sore, and then the next day I couldn't scratch my head, couldn't brush my teeth. My elbow. This was the elbow. It was my elbow. After spending a whole year focusing on nothing but my shoulder, I had let my like I hadn't been doing elbow exercises, and next thing I know, my my elbow gave out. So sure enough, two months of resting and rehab and all that stuff later, it still hurt to throw. So I had elbow surgery, um, which was supposed to be a simple elbow surgery. They're supposed to just transpose my nerve, uh, which means just move it. Uh, even though I have the Tommy John scar, and then they put one stitch in my ligament. They said I didn't need Tommy John, which was, which was nice. He was going to see if I needed it when he went in there. I told him if I needed it, I, wasn't, I, I couldn't have it because I wasn't going to be ready to play for most of this season, and I can't miss three full seasons. Um, so anyway, it was supposed to—it was a simple elbow procedure, but I had veins, veins wrapped around my nerve, and so sure enough, I had complications with my third surgery as well. Uh, the swelling—it's still my arm still will turn purple after I throw. I don't know if you can see. There's bruising compared mm -hmm. with bruising like around here and here. I threw a bullpen yesterday, so in order to free that nerve, they had to cauterize all the veins, and. Uh, so sure enough, there's still always scar tissue and stuff. And the Crunchek did all your surgeries? Yeah, yeah. It took. You like took, him? Uh, I do. He's an awesome guy, and he's. I'm like one of his side projects. He's like, I'm not going to give up on you. He's like, you better not give up on me. So. Um, so, yeah. So the elbow took a lot longer than we had thought. Just like the the shoulder surgeries took a lot longer than we thought. But was the elbow the elbow was in the fall last year? Uh, not even in the fall. Maybe July, late July. So it took me almost as long as Tommy John to come back from an elbow surgery that shouldn't have taken very long because of all the swelling and stuff that's going on, that went on. So you came to spring training this year and, and what they did? So I continued rehabbing through, through, I haven't had an off season, so I just kept rehabbing, rehabbing, and rehabbing. And came to spring training this year healthy. Uh, had an awesome spring, was, couldn't have been happier to, uh, to play baseball again, I was, I mean, it was unreal feeling. And then opening night, uh, fluke injury, racing one of my teammates because I was just so happy to be out there. Felt a pop in my hamstring. Uh, never, never experienced that before. I go to yoga classes twice a week. Uh, no, no problems with my flexibility. I lift my legs extremely hard. Uh, and I run all the time. And all of a sudden there was just a pop. Um, so that set me back another month in which I had to change my mechanics so I wouldn't hurt my hamstring when I was throwing, in which case I aggravated my shoulder and my elbow again. And so when I came back the month I pitched, my shoulder and elbow were hurting. And once again, now I'm on the DL. But now my, now my arm doesn't hurt and I'm throwing well, so I should be off the DL within a week. And then back to hopefully the way I pitch in spring training and then hopefully... Maybe one day back to the way I was. You uh, you went on to the active roster here in early May. I guess that's when the, the hamstring was healthy enough that you could you could pitch. 
What was it like in out there that first in the first game when you came back? Was it nerve? I mean, was it like the first time you? No, there was. It was. It was different. Well, one because there are no fans in Sarasota, but um, there was definitely no nervousness. It was more. I'm extremely happy to be out here. So I really didn't have any. When you come, when you go through all these surgeries, they just want to see you throwing healthy. They on, honestly don't even really care about the results sometimes. Um, so I just went out there and enjoyed the moment because, again, you never know when you get hurt again. From looking at how you were being used when you when you were on the active roster, it looked like they were really being cautious with you three to four days between appearances. Yeah, yeah, definitely really cautious. In short stints, was, did they discuss a plan with you? Um, we never really discussed it, but they would always keep me in the loop about what they were, what their plans were. Um, and again, it was nice that they were still, that they still were making plans and were concerned even after all the, the hell I put them through. How are you a different pitcher now than you were in 2004? Oh, I don't, I don't even know if I can consider myself a pitcher yet until I log about 20 or 30 innings without it hurting. Um. I don't think I've really changed that much. I still go after. I'll still go after guys with my fastball ahead, behind, whenever in the count. O two, you're probably going to see a fastball, um, even though it might be only 91 and not 95. I still try and strike guys out with it. Um, so I really haven't changed the way I pitch just yet. I don't think I've had to when I've only had to go out there for an inning or two. Um, but I, again, I will have to later. So. Is your velocity the same right now? Is, I mean, when you were throwing, like in spring training, when you said you were throwing very well, were you around where you were in 2004 with Domi? No, not even close. I was like 88 to 91. Uh, one outing, I was 90-91 with only, with most of them at 91, which was nice. Uh, so, but again, they say it takes like a year to get your velocity back, and after not throwing for two years, uh, my brother and the pitching coaches keep telling me, don't. If you're throwing 91 now, don't worry about it yet. There's a good chance you're going to get a lot more back. Um, In the book, they, they talk about your your long tossing being legendary almost. Are you are you doing a lot of that now? I, they won't. They won't. I can't. I can't be doing that right now. So I need to focus with going down the hill and stuff like that. And Mecha you mean mechanics by that? Yeah, mechanics of pitching and saving saving my arm for for actual pitching and not for not for long tossing. Long tossing was something that you did like I did in like the off season for strength oh, okay. So if I if I get to the off season this year then I'll definitely get back on a long toss program and hopefully that will help loosen my arm up and get some of that velocity back. When we were setting this interview up, you told me in an email that, that I'm no longer a prospect by any means. And you're gonna be what, twenty six I think in a month? Yeah, twenty six in a month. And you're Two full years of rehab for various things I'm finding out that I didn't know. And now, hopefully, you're back on the DL again for a short period of time. Do you feel like you've got less time to show the Reds what you can do? I mean, can you hear the clock ticking? Yeah, and I definitely thought if I got hurt again, like I'm hurt right now, they were just going to say, sorry, see you later. I thought they were going to say the same thing about the hamstring. But I think so much, so many of the people there have invested so much time in me that they, that they don't want to give up just yet. It's not like they're paying me, like a free agent salary or a big league salary. They're just paying me twelve hundred dollars a month. So maybe I think it's more than that. 
uh, I don't even worry about that stuff. Um, that they've invested so much that they really, really want to, like, the people have been, the rehab guys there have been so great, and even the, the pitching coaches, that they, they don't want to give up. Um, so, yeah, I definitely hear the clock ticking. Um, but, I, I mean, I can't be worried about that. So if it, if it happens, it happens. But until then, I just want to keep, I mean, I definitely love the game and want to keep playing. So I think they know that. And until we've exhausted all the options, I don't think they'll let me go. At least I hope not. Of the guys that I've met, everybody kind of agrees that it's a that it's a business. That baseball's a business, and money's a you know a part of any decision that they make. If you had been a twelfth round pick instead of a second round pick, would you still be here? Definitely not. But maybe if I had shown them what I showed them that my year in Potomac, then I would be. So money, money, money can make you a prospect when you sign. But also having having like a successful season can make you a prospect because like my first season I lost that prospect status when I when I wasn't throwing hard and didn't perform as well in Dayton. Would it be fair to say that the higher you're drafted, the more opportunities you're going to get to fail? Uh, yes, yes, definitely. Do the rest? treat you any differently now than they did in 2004 in terms of, of, of the way they think of you or that you can tell? Uh, no, not really, which has been which has been nice. Everybody's been extremely helpful with my rehab and stuff like that. It's not like it's not like I'm stuck at a certain level and I'm not going to be moved any higher because I'm not a prospect. I'm still dealing with trying to pitch again. So, and they haven't they haven't changed their approach to trying to get me healthy again, which has been nice. Well, yeah, I mean, because Richie Gardner kind of went through the long period like you did, didn't he? Yeah, he pitched, he pitched his, uh, he pitched the first half of his 05 season hurt, put up bad numbers, then had surgery, which took him a year to come back from, and then tried to pitch in Sarasota that second year, and was ineffective and had to stop pitching and then again worked hard this off season and came back this spring. And he's pitching very well. And he's pitching really well. So his his was a two year process as well. I've mixed in two other two other surgeries and had maybe a little bit more time than he has. Is it is it is your goal still to pitch in the big leagues? Or is that or are you so far from You know, I never it's probably bad to say, but my goal was never I don't think was the ultimate goal is to make it to the big leagues, but I, I don't ever think about that. My goal is to to succeed at where I am and then to make it to the next level, adjust, succeed there, and move on. So And trust the system to take care of itself. Yeah, I, I keep I keep my goals reasonable and small because you can't you can't control like getting called up to the big leagues and stuff, but if you dominate where you are, then all you can do is work hard and good things will happen. So when you were having the, the real good year in Potomac in two thousand and four. Did you ever think about you know well why haven't they moved me up? Definitely not. I mean, I was I was having fun with the team there. We were winning. Uh, why not? Like if, if they don't see the need to move me up, then why? I'll enjoy dominating where I am and then learn from it and then be ready for the next season. So I mean, one of the one of the highlights of that season was getting the start game one of the playoffs, which was awesome. You've gone through many trials and tribulations in, in the last three years. That'd be an understatement, yeah. How will you know when it's time 
to move on to, to get as Vince Lombardi said to get on with your life I don't I don't know if I have it in me to quit because I love playing so much and I love even like being around the guys when I rehab and at least feeling like part of the team even when I've been on the DL like I still they still let me get dressed and hang out with the team and stuff like that so I don't know if I can ever give that up so if if they tell me that enough is enough and they let me go um then it, it might be time to move on, but that doesn't mean that if I go work for a company that on the side I might not be long tossing with my brother or, or working out or doing my shoulder exercises when I go to the gym to work out and maybe in a year all of a sudden taking that baseball up again, probably less time than a year, just giving myself a couple months of just natural healing, uh, no baseball specific stuff, and then saying, hey, independent balls, will somebody pick me up? And then, of course, the first team that I come back to, if that ever happened, would I would ask the Reds to take me back, since I feel like I definitely feel like I owe them something after after all I've been through, after all I've put them through as well. Do you feel? It seems like the Reds became after the, the stuff like Howington, you Grueler. Richie Gardner, Bobby Basham, those guys went through all these problems, the various problems with the arms. It seems like the Reds became more cautious with pitchers' arms. I wouldn't say that they weren't cautious before. Again, I like everybody said Mark Pryor had perfect mechanics and Kerry Wood had great mechanics and those guys are on the shelf and might not ever pitch again. So I think a lot of injuries are are flukes. Are things luck of the draw. Luck of the draw, and I'm a firm believer of law of averages since I play poker and stuff like that. You can have the best hand and put all your money in the middle and still lose, but if you get your money in the middle with the best hand, in the long run, you're going to be a winner. So anyway, that's a bad story, but point is, if you have all these injuries for, for that period of time, eventually you're going to have no injuries, and sure enough, the last couple of years we've been in the clear, and I think that's going to continue. You think it has less to do with the system and just... I think it does have less to do with the system. I mean, they, they've definitely changed the system, but I don't know how much that really changes things. A lot of injuries, again, it's not like the guys were getting abused. It's not like they were doing too much shoulders or too little shoulders. That's or, people, throwing a, or throwing 120 pitches at low A ball. I don't know if they were, though. I don't know if they ever were. Yeah, that's what I mean. Yeah, it's not like right. It's, it's not. It's not like obvious. It's not like there were blaring, like glaring problems with the system. Uh, it just happened to be that people got unlucky and were and were getting hurt. And now, hopefully, the Reds can experience a spell of no injuries. When you do move on from baseball, whether it be here or whether it be after you know five years from now, what's in the future? I mean, will you, will you use the the degree? Uh, I mean, I'll use the degree. I don't know if I'll go into anything chemical engineering related. Uh, I, I, again, I've thought about that over the last two years, what I'd, what I'd like to do. Uh, maybe something in baseball, baseball operations. Uh, a lot of my friends are in the finance field, working on Wall Street. My brother uh, is an investment banker as well. That's an option, but after, after hanging out with baseball players and doing active stuff all day long, I don't know if I can go sit in an office for 80-hour weeks. So the finance field is an option. Chemical engineering is an option. I like uh, the renewable energy and stuff like that in the environment. That's been something I've been really interested in lately. So that's it's always near the top of the list. 
Last question. What's the best thing about being a baseball player? Um, the camaraderie of feeling like you're part of a team and hanging out with guys your age that have like the same interests and you're you're all playing for like the same trying to win and trying to get better and to play in the big leagues. I said that was the last question, but you made me think something else. Can I ask you one more? Sure. On this team that you're on now, you're the senior statesman, I believe. I, I am, but I haven't I haven't been pitching enough to maybe even take over a leadership role since I've been in and out so much, but it, I definitely, even even in the training room, I'm always giving, trying to give guys advice, things I've learned along the way about how to how to rest your arm in your sling right after surgery to certain shoulder exercises that might help them, stuff like that. Do when people are looking at prospects in the minor leagues, one of the things they look at is an age at a level. You know, if you're a this age, you should be at this level. Do players look at that when you guys look at each other, or do you look at numbers, or do you look at skills, or do you look at... I think just skills, really, to be honest. Like, the age is, is one thing. Like, it's it's very impressive, like, what Jay Bruce is doing right now, but, you know, I, don't, I really don't think it'd matter whether Jay was 20 or 24. I think we'd all still be impressed by what he's doing, because people are also impressed by Renicky, who's 24, about to be 25 what he can do with his fastball, so I think it's more about the skills. So, but again, if you have the skills, you're a prospect, so it usually goes hand in hand. Of the guys you played with or seen in the minor leagues, who's the most talented guy you've seen? That I've played against or played with? Anything. That you've seen, played with, played against? Could you pick one person that you thought that you went, wow? Um... Probably in uh, well in 2004 with that season we played uh, we played against a ton of prospects. Brian McCann was an amazing hitter. Uh, Frank Cora was an excellent hitter. I'd say Ryan Garko at the time was the most impressive uh, hitter I've I've faced. That guy was really really good. As for as for pitching, uh, I'd say Gardner's command and changeup have been. A lot of fun to, to watch, so hopefully he can get that back and get in the big league soon. I would say he'd probably be our ace right now if he never got hurt. So Really? Yeah. Well, that's all I have. Thomas, we, Red Leg Nation, really appreciate your time. Appreciate you taking part of your day to spend time with us. No problem. And we'll be talking to you soon. All right. Great work by Bill there, and many thanks to Thomas Polly for agreeing to give us some time at Red Leg Nation. Be sure to keep updated on... Thomas and on our other Spotlight players via their Spotlight player pages linked at the top left column at redlegnation.com. Well, that's it for this, our first Red Leg Nation radio podcast. A little bit longer than most of our podcasts are going to be, but we want to get the entire Pauly interview in there. Once again, feel free to contact us at chad, chad at redlegnation.com if you've got any suggestions or comments regarding the podcast. Please do not send in a suggestion that I talk with less of a southern accent. That's just not going to happen. Please do, however, send us your feedback. As I said earlier, this is a work in progress. and Things are going to sound smoother as we go along. It's been a long, long time, after all, since I worked in radio in Charlottesville, Virginia. Thanks for listening. Please subscribe to the podcast. and Be sure to tune in next time when we have perhaps the most interesting interview um, of all the print or audio interviews that we've conducted yet. Uh, We'll have that in store for you next time. Until then, we'll see you in the comments at redlegnation.com.